Just a, a few things that I thought would be of interest. We were just thinking there of the people who are suffering around the world. In West Java, Islamic terrorists are forcibly closing Christian churches. Typically, a mob of Islamic militants will invade a church during services and desecrate the place, drive the worshippers out and attack any minister or people in charge, all the time shouting Islamic slogans. When the police investigate, none of the known militant Islamic groups will take credit for the attack. In the last three years, at least 30, 30 Christian churches have been forced to close in West Java. We don't hear this type of thing on the daily news, unfortunately. And there was a, an interesting article in the Daily Mail. And it said there was an outcry as clergy say calling God he or Lord encourages wife beating. Church of England leaders warned yesterday that calling God he encourages men to beat their wives. They told churchgoers they must think twice before they referred to God as he or Lord because of the dangers that it will lead to domestic abuse. They also warned that clergy must remember the language they use in sermons and check the hymns they sing to remove signs of male oppression. The recommendation, fully endorsed by Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr. Rowan Williams, puts a question mark over huge swathes of Christian teaching and practice. It throws doubt on whether the principal Christian prayer should continue to be known as the Lord's Prayer and begin Our Father. Now that was in the Daily Mail and it was an article which was of interest to say the least. It's, it's unbelievable. Right, we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and we read from verse 12. We read quite a few verses to give us uh, the gist of the rest of the chapter. Verse 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he sware unto thy fathers. And he will love thee, and bless thee, and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb, and he fruit of thy land, thy corn, and thy wine, and thine oil, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep, in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you, or among your cattle. And the Lord shall take away from thee all sickness, and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for they will be a snare 
unto thee. If thou say in thine heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. The great temptations which thine eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders, and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm, whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they, they that are left and hide themselves from thee be destroyed. Thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. And the Lord thy God will put out these, those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them unto thee, and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into thine hand, and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until you have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver of gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. Amazing chapter, that. It's an interesting chapter, a verse that, just as a matter of interest, that they weren't going to go in and wipe out all these people all at once. Because if they did, there'd be an increase in all the wild animals. And that presumably a lot of these wild animals would have eaten the carcasses of the people that had been killed. So God was going to arrange it that they sort of killed them little by little. Uh, so that the wild animals didn't increase in numbers in order to kill or to eat all the, 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 the people that were lying around. It's something like that in any case. But we're not going to major on that particular thing. <laughs> You know, for the last two weeks or so, we've been talking about uh, we as Christians separating ourselves from the world and from those unbelievers and those who teach error. Not that we isolate ourselves from them and don't speak to them, but that we do not worship with them and we do not accept what they teach. And that is the whole emphasis on these chapters here in Deuteronomy. God was, keeps on telling the people to be separate from those people around them. You know, many Christians, and um, lots of Christians, want to enjoy our inheritance, the, the, the future hope we have 
of heaven. But to many, this is something we want to enjoy in the future. We do not wish to have to endure walking on the narrow walk that Jesus told us we have to walk and that God demands from people who truly love him. We're very comfortable living in this world. Many Christians are comfortable in this world. And quite frankly do not wish to rock the boat with the people around them. And if, if they start going too much into uh, what the Bible teaches us we should do, they're rocking the boat around them. They're, they're comfortable in the way things are going along. They, they're quite happy living on the outside nearly of church life, on the periphery. Not getting too involved. With all the things we want in this life, and if we are honest, these things which we, we say we need, we believe we need them. And in many cases, we don't. We keep grasping. We're talking about uh, Conrad Black there a while ago. He always wanted something more. And that's the way it is with many people. You know, we're, we're prepared many Christians are prepared to support those who are preaching the gospel, who are out as missionaries witnessing for the truth but they continue to build ourselves homes and businesses that create more and more ties to this world and you know this world is like Egypt before the Passover it was doomed for destruction but many of us live with the idea that we're going to live here forever and that this world is our home. This world is not our home. I'm just a passing through. The song says, my treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But if we look at our lifestyle, sometimes we wonder, is that the way we really think? Moses, as we have seen, continually pointed to the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded. Paul and other New Testament writers did exactly the same thing for us within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is very difficult to convince oneself to give up a good time lifestyle, which we all have. We can only do it out of a belief that as the Jews had to obey God's commandment to Moses that all the Jews should live and flourish in the land of Israel and the necessity for them to separate themselves from the idolaters and heathen round about them so we as Christians must also be separate and live and walk as the Lord Jesus Christ walked. John 17 and verse 16. We all know the verse so well. In the prayer that prayer, Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven. He says. They are not of this world. Speaking of his disciples. He said. They are not of this world. Even as I am not. Of this world. But the way we live. The way most Christians live today, it shows the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying there. 
But Jesus said, we should not be of this world, even as he was not of this world. Chapel William Law, writing in a book, The Power of the Spirit, he said this, and this is interesting. If you will but ask yourself why your brand of Christianity is hardly recognisable as related to the primitive Christianity, your own heart will tell you that you never thoroughly intended to live as they lived and to die as they died. Did you but have this intention to please God in all your actions as being the happiest and the best choice for life in this world, you would find yourself as unwilling to deny Christ with your life as you are now unwilling to deny him with your lips. Most Christians will not deny Christ with their lips. But he's saying that many deny Christ by their lifestyle. There's a parable in Matthew, the, the wheat and the tares. You know the parable so well. If you, if you look at Matthew 13, Matthew chapter 13, there's a parable there. We'll get back to Deuteronomy in a minute. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And in that parable, if you read it when you get home, the good seed which is planted in the kingdom. And we have in this parable the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as the person who is sowing the seed. And the seed is being sowed in the field. And the field is the world. And it's a portrayal of the Lord placing seed in the world. And who are the seed? The seed are us who have accepted Christ as our Saviour. And he is planting seed in the world. Where he wants some seed, he plants that seed. That's why missionaries feel the great urge of God to go somewhere to preach the gospel because God wants his seed to be there witnessing for him in a wicked world Lord Jesus Christ placing his servants throughout the field the world in order to spread his message the Lord scatters his people all over the earth as he pleases You know, really happy is, is the person, the believer, who is ready for this and to be this to be his experience. Ready to be placed here and then to be moved there. To have life arranged and rearranged by God for his purpose and not for our purpose. And we accept this into our minds that God wants us in a particular place. When our work there is done, perhaps he'll move us to another place. We see the purposes of God at work in our own lives. You know, God may even use mankind, men around us, to arrange for this moving to take place. We have that very well shown in Acts chapter 8. Saul had been going around 
persecuting the church. The church was in around the Jerusalem area. But he made havoc, it says, with the church. Entering into every house, and holding men and women, committing them to prison. And what happened? What was the result of that? It was a terrible disaster, people said. But what was the result? Therefore they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. God used that particular instance to scatter the seed further afield. And Phoenicia, Cyprus, Samaria, Syria heard the message it says. I as a Christian must first and foremost regard myself as a seed to be sown when and where my Lord of the harvest pleases. I may work in a shop or a factory or an office or a housewife or a mother or look after children. Well, you know what I mean. We all have different occupations. But do we recognize that God has placed us there to be a seed for him? To produce more seed? And I've said this before. Graciously he arranges that you will receive a wage to enable you to carry out his work on his behalf. But first and foremost, we are there because God wants us to be there. And if we understand this principle, this simple principle, then any seeming disturbances in our lives, when we're moved from here to there, or whatever way it works in our business, we can see that perhaps this is God's way of spreading the seed and arranging for us to receive a a salary as a result of it as well. So to be completely separate may not seem so difficult after all if we realize that where we are God wants us to be. I hope that's clear. And so with these people they were moving into their inheritance. They were moving in to the land flowing with milk and honey. And at the very start of those verses we read, God is again affirming that his covenants will stand. His covenant with the people. He is a covenant honoring God. His promises never fail. Those who follow his commandments they will have a life pleasing to God and God will bless them. However wonderful as these promises were, we know that God had eventually to permit judgment to come upon these people. Sadly they did not keep their part of the covenant and they eventually as we know were taken into captivity. Ten of the tribes taken away, never heard any more about them. 
the other two tribes eventually taken into captivity in Babylon. For 70 years they had to endure captivity in a foreign land. And all those blessings that God had promised them they ignored. How sad! What a wonderful future they had. And yet they failed to carry out their side of the bargain. And you know, for us who are Christians, God has a wonderful blessing for each one of us. Every form of spiritual increase, they were going to have fruitful land, fruitful animals, fruitful children. For us who are Christians on a spiritual level, Every form of spiritual increase is secured to a faithful people by God's sworn covenant of mercy to you and to me. We can apply the blessing promised to the children of Israel to us as Christians today. It said they had all the diseases, the evil diseases of Egypt. For you and I who are Christians, we have known the evil diseases of Egypt when we were in the world, when we were sinners. We were affected by the sins and the diseases spiritually in the world. Titus 3.3 For we were once ourselves also without intelligence, disobedient, wandering in error, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is just a picture of people in the world today. There's a list in Colossians, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, Covetousness, covetousness. Look at the amount of people who grab for more and more when they see something, has something, they want some of that. And that's idolatry, the Bible says. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Oh, we are not, we don't worship idols. We don't have to. We have all these other things which we are grasping for. And the Bible says that's idolatry. Anger, wrath. Look at all these stabbings in the, we read of in the paper every day. A whole family wiped out there just two days ago. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. The diseases of Egypt. And we suffered from them. Needed to be cleansed from them by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Such were the infirmities of Egypt. But these are not with those that, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a change from walking in malice and hate and all the rest 
we now, by the grace of God, become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. By grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Where God's love is assured and where his Holy Spirit is indwelling the believer, there should be spiritual health and spiritual increase. God has promised this through his word. The world today is so constantly, as we have said, seeking material increase. Increase in wealth, increase in influence, increase in status, increase in property. Increase, increase. That's the cry. Growth. The, the constant growth. The, the talk of our politicians is the increase in growth every year. But the true answer for the Christian lies in spiritual increase. Spiritual increase. 2 Peter 3.17 Ye therefore beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 3.12 And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another and toward all men, even as ye do toward you, as we do toward you. Second Corinthians 9 verse 10 Now he that ministereth seed to the sore both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown your seed this is spiritual seed we're talking about not the seed out in the garden multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness that's the kind of growth we want oh yes the Israelites, when they moved into the uh, promised land, were promised growth of, of a material kind. We as Christians are looking at growth of a spiritual kind. Colossians 1.10 So as to walk worthily of the Lord unto all well-pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing by the true knowledge of God. God wants us to grow, to increase. This is the kind of increase we should be seeking in our lives. The Israelites failed. But they went into the promised land. They didn't do what they had to do. May we not fail either. May we seek by the help of the Spirit of God to pursue a course leading to unlimited expansion and fruitfulness in a spiritual sense it says according to the riches of his grace 
the riches of God's grace. And those riches will never be exhausted. If we tap into the riches of God's grace and seek to live in accordance with that, we will keep on growing in Him. And then going back to, to uh, Deuteronomy, it says in verse 17, If thou shalt say in thine heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? They were to remember the Lord God. Go to verse 21. Thou shalt not be affrighted at them for the Lord thy God is among you a mighty God and terrible what did Jesus say I will never leave thee nor forsake thee the same God who was going to walk with the children of Israel in the promised land we have the assurance from his beloved son that he will never leave us his Holy Spirit indwells us and he will abide with us forever and what was God going to use to defeat the enemy oh this is amazing I think they had all these seven nations seven kings to be disposed of how are we going to do it? And God gives a little example. Was he going to use earthquakes? Fire? Storm? Floods? Do you know what he was going to use? A swarm of hornets. Isn't that incredible? That sort of put the thing into perspective as in relation to the children of Israel says in verse 20 the Lord will send the hornet among them until they that are left and hide themselves from thee be destroyed how are we going to manage Lord how oh listen I'll send a swarm of hornets God can use anything but he was putting it into perspective in the minds of these people that all he had to do was to disturb them with a swarm of hornets and apparently nations have been disrupted by vast swarms of things like these man may boast and swagger before almighty God but when God moves miracles can happen Paul writing in Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1 27 God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty God is a sovereign God we must remember that that's the big principle God is sovereign now look 
we, we looked at Daniel a few months ago, uh, but there's one or uh, two verses just I want to read in Daniel, just to show what it is. Nebuchadnezzar was a despot. Anything that he wanted to do, he did. He was questionable to nobody. But at the end of his days, here's what he said. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. God had laid him very low, and had he had lost his, his, I was going to say his marbles. He, he had gone out of the field and he was eating grass like the animals. But I lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. He looked to God. And I bless the Most High, and I praised and honour him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? We are not to be afraid of the enemy. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But our danger lies. And the danger with the Israelites going into the promised land. It lay not in the power of the enemy. But that we may see something attractive in what pertains to that enemy and take it onto ourselves. And that was the problem. And look at verse 24 and 25. God shall deliver their kings into thine hand and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until you have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver and gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. How subtle! Satan can be in deceiving man into compromise. We need to be very careful. What? Destroy the gold and the silver? Yes. There is to be no appropriation of anything which may seem valuable in itself. It has acquired through adulterous use the character of an abomination unto the Lord. An abomination to Jehovah thy God, it says. But surely this gold and silver could be used to good intent. If we just strip all the gold and silver off the, 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 the statues, we could use it for something. Yes, by all means it could be. But surely... God did not mean for us to destroy it. Yes, he did. They were not to use any part 
of that which was an abomination, they were to destroy it completely. Well, we burn the images, but we'll keep the gold and the silver. There's an interesting verse actually in Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. See, the Galatians had this problem. The Galatians had become Christians, but some had come in to, dry, to drive them back under the bondage of Judaism. And here's what Paul writing to them says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now say I again, if any man preach any gospel unto you that he have other than that ye have heard and received, let him be accursed. They were being brought back under the, the, the bondage of the law. You know, an illustration of this is if we go to first Samuel first Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. We're not going to read it, but that's where it is. King Saul was told to destroy the Amalekites. Samuel said, Go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and uh, everything. Destroy everything. So Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur which is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep of the and the oxen, oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse that they totally utterly destroyed go and destroy them all oh no we'll keep Agag and we'll keep the best of the animals Samuel came and uh, Saul met him and said blessed be thou of the Lord I have performed the commandment of the Lord <laughs> Samuel said what's this I hear what's all the bleating going on Oh, he said, I forgot to tell you about that. He said, we're, uh, we're, we're keeping those uh, for to sacrifice to thy God. It's interesting, he said, unto the Lord thy God, not unto the Lord my God. He had disobeyed God. And God had told Samuel, that Saul was to be not again trusted. That he was going to be replaced 
and we know that David replaced him. And here's what Samuel said. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. They hadn't performed everything that God had told them to do. The same thing happened with the Israelites in Deuteronomy. They were told to utterly destroy those people. They failed. The Galatians, they had returned to the bondage of Judaism. They were going back to a darkness as great as the darkness of heathenism of the day. And in so doing, they were cursed. Today, there are many people in Christianity. And things are said and done and services are, take place not in accord with the gospel as taught in the scriptures. And it says, don't get involved. Don't even keep the gold and the silver. Get rid of everything. Get rid of all the evil. Separate yourselves from those who are not in accord with scripture. The Galatians were being put back in the darkness of works, prayers, sacraments, all kinds of activities which never perfect their relationships with God. And it's all to do with the start of this, uh, this chapter. We remember those seven nations that were stronger than them. They were cohorting with those nations. And we saw that they equated with the universal lords of this darkness which we said was recorded in Ephesians chapter 6. The beginning of this little talk. How easy it is for me to shun and to stay away from some obvious idolatrous evil. Oh yes, we see some horrible things which are happening. We stay away from those. But then we compromise on some minor thing. And we take it to ourselves. Like the Israelites were told not to take it. Don't take it home. Don't bring it home with you. Why? Because it will snare you. It will interfere with your worship of the true God. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. I'm nearly finished. May the Lord keep our hearts separate from all evil. Not just the major things, but the small things. And may he help us to be true, true and loyal to himself in all ways. Every day. For his name's sake.